Welcome to Stand Our Ground. I'm your host, Kaya, and I'm so grateful that you've decided to join me as I investigate the murder of my cousin, Deanna Stevenson. This podcast does discuss domestic violence and includes events and descriptions that some listeners may find triggering, so please listen with caution. If you need to talk with someone about the content of this podcast or something that it brings up for you, please call 988 in the United States to reach the Mental Health Crisis Line or text HOME to 741-741. As a reminder, all individuals discussed in this podcast are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Welcome back to Stand Our Ground Podcast. I'm your host, Kaya Penfield. And just a few housekeeping things before we start uh, listening to my interview or the rest of my interview with Morgan. First of all, if you are a subscriber, all subscriber bumper stickers have been mailed out. So that should either be to you or arriving very soon. Also, if you haven't heard, we do have our website officially up. It is www.standourgroundpod.com. Uh, apologies if you can hear a cat meowing in the background. I'm not in my usual studio, but on that website, you can find uh, all of the episodes that we've put out. And in addition to that, you can find transcripts of every episode. Um, You can also find every single thing, media, podcast, whatever, that has covered Deanna's case in a section on there that's called media coverage. And pretty soon I'm going to be slowly but surely getting up the case files, redacted case files, um, so that you can view them. There is going to be a section with crime scene photos, and I should go ahead and let you know just for full transparency that I will not be releasing all crime scene photos for lots of reasons. Um, it doesn't feel super responsible to just put them out on the internet where anyone can stumble upon them. It doesn't feel respectful of my cousin or the rest of the family. Um, and also it just like, it's not necessary. So I'll be uploading some that show stuff like, um, the bullet that's in the storage door or the wall of the storage room, uh, that kind of thing. But there won't be any pictures of Deanna's body. Um, there won't be any, you know, significant pictures with like blood or gore or anything like that. Um, with all that stuff said, if you want to, um, get one of those bumper stickers and you're not a subscriber, we'll have an opportunity coming soon on our website. So make sure that you are following us both on Facebook and that you have that website somewhere, maybe not bookmarked, but I don't know, somewhere where you can access it, put it so it'll show up on your homepage. Um, when we left off last time during my interview with Morgan, we were talking about the investigation or lack thereof, um, and also really talking about how it compared to what Morgan and I had done on our own, um, and how we were pretty frustrated by that. Um, specifically, uh, Morgan talked about a case in Santa Rosa where police had also been shown not to do their job, um, And in addition to that, you know, we were talking about those text messages that hadn't been gone through. Um, So I'm going to continue with the rest of the interview for you to listen to. Um, But what you're going to hear as we start is we're going to go straight into talking about more things that the police missed or just didn't bother to do. So that's why I wanted to give you a little bit of a background um, before we get right into it. So uh, I'm just going to play it from where we left off. So here we go. People who have been listening to the podcast are aware that... Greiner, who was one of the last people to see Deanna live, police never contacted him. His first time talking about um, 
her case was on the podcast. You and I recently found on her phone from 2.40 in the morning, the day that she was murdered, a six-minute phone call with someone, and I texted that person, and that person said, police never reached out to her, and also said um, that Megan had been trying to get her to go over to the apartment that night, um, which is just... Which is crazy to me because... If Megan had been blowing up my sister's phone, getting her and trying to get her to come over to the apartment that night, where are these messages? Where are these phone calls? Um, Because from what I am aware that Deanna, that person that that she talked to on that six minute phone call, that was the last person she talked to before she went over there. Just a quick point of clarification that Morgan is referring to over the phone here, not in person. So it just like, did they delete it? Did they get in her phone? Well, and that's not the only thing suspicious about her phone, right? Right. So it's like all her social media platforms, they're logged out. It just, it's a, there's a lot of things are just not adding up. So I, you know, if that was the case where Megan had been blowing Deanna's phone up that night um, to try to get her to come over there. My sister would not have went over there without reason. There was also supposed to have been this letter that Megan says that she wrote for my sister and which that letter that she said that she had for my sister is in that text message. Mm -hmm. It's in a text message that she tells my sister she has for her. Just popping in again for some clarity, Morgan's referring to text messages that refer to the letter, not a text message with the letter in it. Was it, you know, was she calling to tell her to come pick up that letter? Mm-hmm. You know, it just, it doesn't make sense to me, but yet they made my sister out to be some malicious person, this animal that my sister is not. And anybody who knew my sister knows that my sister was not that person that they were making her about to be on social media platforms. And on some of the articles that they were saying, and even in the reports, you know, they're trying to say that my sister was blowing up Megan's phone. Yeah. And and just to clarify, too, with some of these um, text messages, as we're getting more and more access to the phone, we're finding, first of all, that not all of their conversations were through text message, no. um, which is is interesting. The things that were chosen to be uh, documented and the things that were chosen to be in maybe a more secretive area. I can't wait for us to dig and dive in on another night to go through those emails that we are finally able to gain access to. Um, Funny story for the ones that have listened and are listening um, and maybe who have been or are friends with Deanna on her Facebook page. Um, I met this girl through a mutual friend of mine, a really close friend of mine that actually has Deanna's phone number. My mom said it was it's it was mainly like it could this could be a sign like Mm -hmm. I feel like me meeting her was fate. You know, I have to be honest with you. I saw that and I was like, you're crazy. This just happens sometimes. Phone numbers happen to be reassigned. And then. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like, what are the odds that I meet and become friends with this girl that now has my sister's phone number? Still under Deanna's name, I cannot and will never be able to bring myself to change her contact in my phone. But to the help of her, you know, being able to get that email reset so we can gain access to, and which, by the way, there are important emails in there that Deanna's flagged as important. Um, we'll be diving into those. So just oh, be, prepared. Yeah. <laughs> be prepared for that, guys. You also 
have brought to my attention and are aware that there's some pretty significant testing that hadn't been done. Like, you know, the there's no fingerprints on the gun. There's no blood on the gun. My sister-in-law came over um, and was, you know, she took a look at the report and, you know, stuff and she she was reading it. Um, I have not been able to bring myself to read from start to finish on the documents, I guess. So for say for my, you know, my mental state, um, but my sister-in-law, she was reading it, uh, I guess like the swabs that they took off the couch and the swab that they took of the blood on the wall. And, you know, just, there's a lot of swabs and DNA that was done that we never got back and potentially that we know that they never sent off. Right. And also the weird part of that is that information that you two were able to find came from a file that was not in the case file when it was sent to me. So yeah, it, it's so mysteriously that's... disappeared. Yeah. So, but sucks for their behalf because they got to be quicker than that. <laughs> Luckily, <laughs> I have that. Luckily, I have all those papers. So... Um, which is crazy, but like you said, the gun, you know, um, that the gun is just really crazy to me because if Jane had slide bite, there should have been blood on the slider from where it clipped her. There should have been fingerprints from Amy from her touching. Mm -hmm. And another thing that's in the report is they also request they go get a search warrant. They being uh, Amy and Megan and Ollie Jane. Yes, correct. Correct. Um, my thing is, if it is a stand your ground, why did you make them go get a search warrant? Mm -hmm. You want to know why? My theory is because they wiped that gun. She knew how to wipe a gun because she's an ex-cop. She was employed by oh, Escambia, Escambia County. County Sheriff's Office. Yeah. So that goes to tell you. That, that gun was wiped clean. There was no fingerprints found on the gun. There was no blood found on the gun at the time they retrieved the gun. Um, it just, it does not add up. It does not add up. I'm curious, how much was your family involved or like kept in the loop during the investigation? From what I can remember, I really don't think that my family was kept in the loop much at all during the investigation. Um, I just think that the state attorney's office did their review and then they pretty much ruled it out as that Ollie acted in self-defense. Um, so and that they just ruled it as they were not going to be pursuing charges. And what's yeah. crazy to me is like whenever this came out and was all over social media, you know, of course, like mm -hmm. they had their negative comments. Um that, you know, it was justified, but then you had ones that we didn't even know, of course, that we got their support and saying like something about this just doesn't add up mm -hmm. and which it doesn't. I feel like the ones that know, know. And I think now since you have been doing a phenomenal job at digging deep and doing this podcast and, um, you know, finding all this new information. And for the ones that have listened to this podcast, I think they are finding out that how grimy this case really is. Mm -hmm. So I know your family wasn't super involved in the investigation. I also know that your mom is a pit bull. My mom had sent documents after documents after documents to attorneys after attorneys after attorneys to try to get somebody to accept and to review this case. And, you know, but because it was going against the Sandy County Sheriff's Office, nobody wanted to accept the case. 
Um, so my mom continuously got, kept getting shut down and her mental state was being destroyed. Mm -hmm. And, um, she eventually just kind of gave up hope, you know, because, you know, it hurts whenever you're told that, you know, we can't accept this case because we don't want to go against Escambia County Sheriff's Office because knowing that that would be a lawsuit against them. Um, and then being tried as a civil suit, nobody wants to go after them, you know, especially an attorney that's going to be, you know, in the state of, or being in the city of Pensacola. So I, at one point had, um, you know, I was able to get in contact with somebody. She had reviewed my sister's case and she was going to make an article about it after reviewing it. And I believe that she came across some stuff that was grimy. And then she told me she could no longer make an article on my sister's case. And with that being said, she was just, I'm sure, was worried about all the backlash she would have gotten. Right. And keeping her job. and Exactly. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, I remember, you know, in the aftermath, first of all, thinking, well, something's going to happen. This was clearly not okay. And then I remember at one point there had been talk of like, we're reaching out to lawyers and, you know, we're trying to get private investigators involved. And then you know, when all of that started to kind of fall through and not really find any results, I came to you guys and I was like, what do you guys think about like, if I did a podcast about the case, um, what do you, what was your thoughts when I, it was such a crazy idea. What were you thinking when I came to you about that? No, I don't think it was a crazy idea at all. I thought it was absolutely amazing that, you know, you were wanting to take away from your time and, you know, your family to want to dive in and dig deep into your cousin and my sister's case on wanting to get the light and the attention that she deserves an awareness, you know, to try to get this case reopened again. I thought it was a phenomenal idea that, you know, you thought of and you've been doing a great job, by the way. Well, thank you. I appreciate you. We really appreciate you. And I appreciate you for, you know, you taking the time to put that together in which from what you and I, you know, you were looking at earlier, we've got more subscribers. You got more subscribers since January. Yes, I was going to say, and we appreciate our subscribers so much for helping fund this. Yes, yes. You've done a great job. Well, thank you. I um, I think a lot about... Um, you know, we talked a little bit about some of the way that like the news media handled the case um, and just some of the negative remarks and everything um, that came from people who knew nothing about the case other than what was reported in the media, which wasn't, you know, we know completely accurate. Um, and I, it was really important to me that your family be able to be as involved as you wanted to be and also as not involved as you wanted to be with this podcast. And I think... I mean, I, I know, first of all, this has not been easy for you guys kind of ripping this horrible scab off for any of your yeah. family. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it been hard. I know my other sister, which is, you know, Deanna's twin sister, I know she had quit listening to it because of, you know, it was starting again to affect her mental health. Um, mm -hmm. My mom had started listening to it and then, she, you know, she had quit for a little bit and then she's wanting to get back into listening to it. But I think it's really hard for her to um, uh, listen to it too as well because that's, you know, that's her daughter, you know. So I, I know that it's been, it's been hard for them. Um, I've listened to just about every episode of the podcast just because like I want to know. Yeah, and um, now you're creating one. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's crazy. Um, there's, there was ones, you know, that was pretty hard. Um, like Skipper's interview, that one was hard hearing her scream at them, moving her body. Like I, I broke down. I remember calling you after that one. Cause that one, that was pretty, that was, that hit me, but you know, I, I moved forward cause it was like, I'm gonna do whatever it takes. You know, if I can, you know, help you, whatever, you know, like I'm invested. Yeah. I wanted to ask you if you have any thoughts kind of on, I think we talked a little bit about this. Um, true crime is kind of a, a really big industry and it's a big source of entertainment. It's probably one of like the top podcast categories, right? Is people listening to these true crime cases, which are really these cases of people being murdered or going missing or being kidnapped and then return and like these really horrible, gruesome stories that people have had to live through. Um, and I was telling you, I don't personally think there's anything inherently wrong with that being um, a form of entertainment, but I think that there's a lot that comes with it of needing to be responsible of how stuff like this can impact families. So how do you feel like true crime media, true crime content creators can you know, kind of responsibly create content that considers the families and the victim who's affected by the crime? I just would really hope that they would, I guess I would say, I would just hope that the reporters would get their facts straight before, you know, making false information and thinking about the person that's in the middle of the entire investigation. Yeah, I think especially in this case too, there's, we talked about it before, we'll talk about it probably until <laughs> until I die, um, that not all, in not all cases can you just trust what you're being told. Sometimes you have to do your own research as well. Um, and I think, okay. yeah. I think that's something that the media that covered Deanna's case did not really do. No, they did not do it all. Yeah, I wanted to ask also, has this... Well, actually, let me first ask you, what are some of like the biggest things that kind of keep you awake at night when you think about this case? I would say the thing that keeps me awake at night about my sister's case is knowing that it did not get the thorough investigation that it needed mm -hmm. and my sister never receiving the justice that she deserves. Anyone who knows and knew the situation knows that this case was completely messed up. Yeah. On that note, how has this case affected the way that you view law enforcement? Oh, it has definitely, definitely 100% changed the way that I view law enforcement. Like I said earlier, um, you know, about the incident out here in Santa Rosa, you know, it just shows their lack of diligence um, when they are, you know, working and trying to investigate a crime scene and trying to put, you know, put everything together. I just feel like some cops do not deserve to have the title or to be behind a badge. You know, and don't get me wrong, not all cops are like that. Not all of them are. You know, you do have the ones that are mo are sincere, but then you have the ones that are grimy. I did want to clarify also, because Morgan mentioned this, but neither of us is trying to make a political statement. You know, 
whatever our thoughts are on the state of policing in our country are our own and are something that we try really hard to not bring into this case because we're not worried about all cops in this case. You know, there's the idea all cops are bad, you know, support Blue Lives Matter. That to me has nothing to do with this case. What has to do with this case is the cops that were assigned to Deanna's case failed her and failed the family. Correct. Correct. 100%. Only the ones that, you know, were assigned to my sister's case. I do um, feel that they failed us 100%. Um, I wanted to ask you if there's anything that you wanted to say to anybody who might be listening to this podcast who potentially knows something about the case. First, I just want to say that, you know, Megan, Amy, and Ollie, if you are listening, to this Stand Our Ground podcast, in which I feel 100% certain that you guys are and have. You took away a mother. You took away a sister. You took away a daughter. But most importantly, you took her away from her son. Mm -hmm. Just know that we have not gave up and we are not going to give up on getting the light and the attention my sister deserves and possibly the justice on her case. And for the ones that do possibly know anything about my sister's case and are not coming forward about it, shame on you because put yourself in our shoes and think that what if it was your family member in this situation, living the nightmare that we are living every day and knowing that nothing about this case makes makes any sense. I really hope, because I do believe that there are people who know something that would help bring this case to light. Um, Oh, for sure. For sure. They've not just taken her life. They've taken her reputation and they've taken everything she stood for. And if you are someone who has information, you know, I encourage you to not just contact Escambia County Sheriff's Office because of some of the things we've mentioned. You're welcome to reach out to me, but I also totally understand if you're like, dude, she's family. I don't want to talk to her. There's another podcaster I've been working with and who's gotten involved on this case. His name is David McClam, and he does the True Crime Authors and Extraordinary People case. And he has offered to collect information on this case to help provide it to um, like governor, state attorney, all of that without it having to come to me. So if you do not want it to come to me, there is still a place that you can give that information to that is not necessarily a Scambia County Sheriff's Office. So I really, really encourage you, if you have that information, please say something. Please contact either myself or David McClam. Um, so on that note, as we're kind of wrapping up, do you have you know, any hopes for what you are hoping happens um, as a result of this podcast and some of the other podcasts that have covered this case. And hopes for this podcast and for my sister's case. I would hope to see this case be reopened and reinvestigated and thoroughly investigated at that. But of course, it's hard to say in hopes just because of all the times we've been shut down before. As far as David, I can't thank you enough, you know, for you taking the time, you know, away from your wife or your kids to put your time into investigating my sister's case, you know, to bring more attention and light for what it deserves. So I appreciate you on that. Um, I did want to really quickly, um, as we're wrapping up, just remind 
the audience um, that I will be at CrimeCon representing the Stand Our Ground podcast. If they want to come see me or say hi or anything like that, that's going to be May 31st uh, through June 2nd in Nashville. And we're not sure yet whether or not Morgan is going to be able to come, but hoping that that might be a possibility. Definitely in hopes. I'm definitely in hopes because I'm estimated graduating date from school, May 28th. So then I can try to, you know, hoping, hoping, hoping I'm going to be able to make it up there. And if so, we're going to have to do a little celebration. So if that's the case, but I'm definitely in hopes to try to get up there. And uh, if you're in that area in Florida, in what, Pace area, Milton area? Uh, Milton, Pace. Um, Yeah, Morgan is working right now on um, becoming an esthetician. Is that the official title? Yes. Yep. Yep. A licensed esthetician in the state of Florida to be doing facials and lashes. That's just, you know, one of the ways that you can help support the family because as much as it might not necessarily seem, you know, it's, it seems weird to be like, go get your lashes done to help support this family whose, um, you know, loved one has been murdered. But that is stuff that provides funds that can then go towards the case, that can go towards Morgan potentially being able to make it to CrimeCon. And we know that's really important for making those connections, getting other people to cover the case, getting forensics experts and law enforcement experts to look and and tell us you know, are are we onto something or are we completely seeing a conspiracy where there is none, which I don't believe. And I have heard from everyone who's looked into this case, no, there's something going on here. But I, I think it's also important to note that Morgan and I, and I believe the rest of the family too, are very open to, you know what, if somebody who's non-biased looks at this case and looks at all of this case and goes, you know what, guys, I'm really sorry, but no, it does look like the police did their job. We are open to hearing that. We just have not been able to find that to be true. No, not at all. So if people want to support you by following your page for esthetician services on Facebook, what is the name of that page? The name of that page is going to be Mo Lashes Aesthetics. And Mo Lashes is all one word, right? Yes, Mo Lashes is all one word, short for Morgan for Mo, um, Lashes, and then Aesthetics. Perfect. So, and we will be sharing that page on our Facebook as well when this episode comes out. You can always reach out to me at standourgroundpodcast at gmail.com. I just want to, you know, thank you again for all your hard work and putting in, you know, the time into doing this for her um, and you as well, David. Thank you. While I was talking to Morgan, I learned something that I didn't know about the speech that Deanna gives that's used in our outro. Okay. What's funny is I um I actually recorded that video. Did you? Yeah, I did. And we're going to go ahead to the outro, but uh, I thought it would be nice for Morgan and I to get to do the speech with Deanna this time. So here's Deanna and Morgan and myself and our outro. Here's, here's to you. Here's to me. Friends and family shall always be. If you shall ever disagree, fuck you and here's to me. Stand Our Ground is written and produced by Kaya Penfield. Our theme music is Lifelike by Alexi Action Background Music. You can find us on social media by going to at Stand Our Ground on TikTok or searching Stand Our Ground Podcast on Facebook. You can also email us at standourgroundpodcast at gmail.com.